0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Um, Thank you for listening. uh, The chili cook-off was a lot of fun and a great event, and we had 15 chilies. I'm honored to come in second place to all those chilies. They were all very good, um, and we talked this week about how we could do that a little bit better even, um, and so that I'll probably be back next week, but that was a lot of fun. Thanks for everybody that was here and for everybody that cooked, and um, right, so we're starting a series in the Book of Romans, and uh, the, this first week, I want to talk about the guy that wrote the Book of Romans, um, Paul, and not, not so much his biography, but a little, maybe a biography of his heart. Uh, And because I think it informs how, it's informed how I've read the letter, and I think it'll inform how we listen to the letter. So, but let me start by asking this. What is your social media drug of choice? Anybody? Facebook? Instagram? Twitter? What? Reddit. Reddit. This shows that we're getting too old because no one's at TikTok. And I think, like, the younger you get, the more it is. Mine is Twitter. Facebook is too personal. Um, I care too. I really, like, care what's going on in the lives of friends from high school that I haven't talked to since high school. And so I'll spend hours on there trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Instagram, I like, but I just don't post a lot of pictures. It's a more limited group of people on it, like, for, for me. And, um, and, 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 um, TikTok. I saw someone post something about TikTok about their wife, like making a video and then editing the video and then posting the video and taking it down and re-editing it and then just deleting it. And I'm like, who has the time for all that? But apparently, it's teenagers. And because that's what they're doing now is that Twitter is just information, and I love information. And it's you can call, you can cultivate, like call like what you get and stuff like that. And so um, I like it. This passage the first just the first verse of romans the more i read romans over the past few months just trying to read romans and read romans and read romans and um it's hard to get through the whole thing but but you always get through the first few verses you know and so this first bit paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of god just made me think about twitter bios so if you get on twitter like you have a chance to put in something like this just a little bit about yourself Um, And it comes up with whatever you tweet out. And it just got me thinking about what is at Paul's core? And what is it in a Twitter bio is not necessarily what's at your core. It's what you want people to see. You know what I mean? But like what's at your core? And that's really what this morning is going to be about. But what Romans is meant to shake up is that. Like what's at your core? And what do you work out of? Um, because the gospel is meant to shake that up, and so this first message is almost like a pretest. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, uh, to see where you are with that. And I did not score well on the pretest. I'll tell you that. So let me talk about Twitter bios for just a minute, just just a little en- engagement here. So this is um, this is how Twitter bio works, and some of them are just ridiculous. So this lady put, "I'm really a giant cupcake, afraid of roller coasters and dry ice." And from Canada. So go figure. That makes sense now. Uh, but some of them are just goofy. You know what I mean? This guy, I think, I think this guy's famous. I don't know who he is, though. El Presidente, three-time bee sting survivor. I kind of liked that. Um, I own a ton of Penn stock. I don't even know what that is. The Baron of Bitcoin, I doubt it. Don't trust anything I say about stocks. Okay. Um, I just got a little confused by his. Some of them I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grab the pictures until later. So one person put, insert pretentious... About myself here, I don't know if I could say that word in church, so I didn't. But like, that's kind of what a Twitter bio feels like. Some of them are. Um, this one guy wrote from South Shields. There's a lot of from wherever you are. Works in Azerbaijan offshore. So what I do? Enjoys life, and then loves JD. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. I wonder who JD is. And then I looked at the picture, and it was four bottles of Jack Daniels. And so like, it's kind of funny, but I don't think I don't think it was meant to be ironic. Like, I think he really, like, that's kind of who he is, is he loves Jack Daniels. And I that was, that was sad, you know, if that's the core. Um, and there are things that are core that are probably sad. This, some of them are ambitious, bordering on obnoxious. So this person wrote, a human being and communicating, get that, a human dot being. I see what you did there. A human being and communicating with and about other beings and things into smart people provocative thinking and fresh perspectives on selling stuff i really want to hang out like it's just a little little you know just a little whatever um, this guy wrote and fair enough this next guy um, is like a, is a congressman so congressman for texas 13 former white house physician and retired navy rear admiral now if i was a retired navy rear admiral i'd have it on t-shirts I'd have, like, little polos with a logo. I'd have hats that said, I am a retired rear ad- Navy Rear Admiral. Like, fair enough, you know? Um, and then Texan, of course, veteran, physician, and leader. Saying you're a leader, for me, is a little bit like saying you're humble. It's like, I'll be the judge of that. You know what I mean? And if you're a Navy Rear Admiral, of course you're a leader, but that's all the more reason why you don't need to tell me that you're a leader and put it on your Twitter bio, you know? <laughs> like, it just comes across wrong. Some people, like Elon Musk, Elon just has to put Elon. And everybody knows, if you're at that level, what it is. Um, a lot of people are like, I don't know what to put. and You can tell. So one woman put coffee drinker, e-reader addict, mom blogger. I'm very busy and important, you know, kind of self-deprecating. And then this guy, is an, he's an NFL uh, and like a, I don't know, he's on ESPN someplace. And I like him, Dan Orlovsky. Husband to a cool chick, dad to triplet boys, and Lenny. Lenny, I don't think, is one of his kids. How many kids are there? Four. Maybe Lenny is one of his kids. Um, retired 12-year NFL quarterback. It's a little bit like rear admir- Navy rear admiral. End zone should be 11 yards. His most—he was a backup quarterback. His most famous play was him running around the end zone, stepping out the back of it, stepping back in, throwing a pass, not knowing he just committed a safety because he can't run out of the end zone and come back in. And he gets—he gets, he gets um, ragged on for that all the time. So it was pretty self-deprecating for him to put that. And then follower of Jesus, and he's legit. Like when the Demar Hamlin thing happened a couple weeks ago, he on air, on his show, said everybody's talking about thoughts and prayers, I'm just going to pray right now, and prayed to Jesus on air, on ESPN, and it was awesome. So I like that. A lot of the Twitter bios are like, you know, husband, father, insert occupation here, and then something fun. I just got thinking, like, what would, what's your, forget your Twitter bio, like, what's your bio? What's, what's, what's there? What's at your core? Who are you? Um, who do you? Who do you tell yourself you are when you wake up in the morning? Who, who do you tell other people that you are? Like, what do you want them to know about you? Are those the same things? Um, and is this, a, is this a hard question? Does anybody find this a hard question? Uh, I found it harder than I wanted it to be. Um, we all want a reason to think well about ourselves. I became uh, theologically convicted years ago and mentioned this from time to time that I think at our core we're all asking two questions. Am I loved and am I good? I think it's right in the Garden of Eden. Am I loved and am I good? And the gospel answer, The Bible answers those. You've always been loved. God's never loved you any more or any less than he does in this instant. Um, and you're made to be good, but you know you're not, and that's your fundamental problem, and the gospel solves that problem. I used to tell my kids when they were little, hey, you are a good kid, and I love you, but even when you, be, if you ever become like a bad kid, I will never love you less um, just because of that, because I wanted them to work out of that, uh, and so we need that sense of like goodness, righteousness really, something to say, I'm good at this, and so I've thought, a lot about that. Like, when I wake up in the morning, like, you just need something that says, okay, I'm, I'm valuable. And if my default, honestly, like, I think I'm pretty good at being a father. I think that might be the thing I'm best at. It may just be that I got lucky and had easy kids, and so that's what I think. You know what I mean? But that's probably the best thing. Um, husband and pastor, I've, I have good days, but, like, I need some work, you know? Um, and then just, what is it? that you gravitate towards, uh, where you're from or where you're going or, you know, I think it's why we feel good when our sports team wins or bad when it loses or why we need dopamine fixes all the time, and if you don't have anything to put in this category, you get depressed and hopeless. Um, there's, it's different when it's just me looking in the mirror than with, when I'm with my family, and that's a safe place, you know what I mean? You don't really need to prove yourself like this is a family. Um, It's a little bit different here for me because you guys come listen to me speak each week, which is weird, you know, and validating in a sense, and and scary as all get out in another sense, but I think we've tried really hard to cultivate a church family that's a safe space for everybody, and that's what it's supposed to be, and so I don't necessarily feel that. When I'm with The group of strangers, it's different, and it's different whether it's one stranger or five strangers or 50 strangers, you know? So um, a little over a week ago, I was with a group of 100 strangers and waiting for an event to start and um, had—well, let me start with this. The other night, I was was at Johnny's, my youngest son's soccer tournament, and just hanging out with some dads in the lobby while um, the kids are on their phones or something, just— in the hotel lobby, and, uh, and so it's two dads, and we start talking, one of the dads has a Campbell law pullover on, and so one of us asks him, like, what do you, you know, did you go to Campbell? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm the dean. <laughs> okay, uh, and um, it turns out he's a retired, fed- he was a federal judge for 20 years, like, and just a great guy, like, love talking to this guy um, for a bunch of different reasons, and then it turns, and they're like, what do you do? oh, I'm a pastor. That just does not gain you credibility in our culture, right? And, and I say this, that when you say church to 100 different people, 100 different things come to mind. When you say pastor to people, a million things probably come to mind. And so I just felt myself, like, wanting, like, trying to prove myself, you know? When I'm in this room of 100 people, what was going on in my heart was a tragedy. I find myself sizing people up and putting people down and, like, where, what is going on? Uh... Something in me was like desperate to know it was okay. The gospel has the only good answers to those questions. Am I loved and am I good? God's love has never wavered. The gospel says that our righteousness can only come from Christ. Um, And until we grasp and accept that, and it's like a matter of degree, the depth to which we accept that, then we're seeking for some self-righteousness. In probably a bunch of different areas to be validated by the people around us or what's projected on us. And my heart was doing that. The more I read this thing about Paul, a servant of Christ, uh, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, I felt like he's not doing that. Or he is, but a much, like it's a much lower level, a calmer level than I am. Romans to him is probably a room full of strangers. Like he doesn't know most of those people, and I bet like there's a part of him that wants to prove himself, but he knows where he operates out of and what's most important. A servant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart, or called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. And in a nutshell, the whole book of Romans is meant to close the gap between wherever our hearts are and where Paul's heart is and what he's operating out of. You get to Romans 12.1, So to fast forward. Um, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and that therefore is really appealing to the first 11 chapters of Romans, and maybe particularly the first eight chapters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a servant of Christ. Like the theology gets you to this place where he is, where he just presents himself as a living, he's a servant of Christ, who he is. That is your spiritual worship. Um so Romans 1.1, 1, 1, a, a, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Servant is the word doulos, which is a really common ancient um, Greek word for slave. Uh, part of me is a little bit surprised because later in the letter, he's going to talk about a spirit of adoption. We've, we've received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba. And so I would think he would have like set himself up in that frame of like a child of God through Christ, through the work of Christ. Um, and that's... A lot of the letter, but but here he just starts with doulos. I don't know what a comparable word for doulos is in our time. I mean, it meant slave. It's servant. Um, he has surrendered his rights to like his own will, you know, to Christ. And I, you know, maybe a domestic or a maid or a butler or, or an assi- I don't know what an assistant, like what role you're. You've made your will subservient to the will of someone else's um, will, but but I but I don't. That's that's what it is. That's what um, he's doing. Uh, in our cred, in our culture, I feel like you don't you don't get credit for that. You get credit when other people make their will subservient to your will. You know, like you get credit when when you're leading people, um, or at least when you're like moving in the right direction. When you get a promotion, you know what I mean. Uh, a is moving in the wrong direction when it comes to our culture. A certainly isn't in charge and doesn't seem to be moving that way. Um, when I, the other night, threw out the pastor thing, like my mind wants to say, I had options, you know, <laughs> like, but this is what I was called to. Um, Paul doesn't, he doesn't seem to have that uh, problem. Um, Part of what's helpful to know about Paul, and puts this in context, is Paul could have had the ultimate Twitter bio for his day. So this is Philippians chapter 3. Different context. Paul says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, which is all for a Jewish audience. Like, those are big deal type things. And he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is like, I don't know, that's like being a tech millionaire, you know, in our culture. Like, that's the thing that they aspired to was to be a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Like, he was 100%, went all the way with it. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, which is a lot to say in a Jewish mindset. He's saying, if you think you're a big deal, I was a bigger deal. Paul was taught by a guy named Gamaliel, which is the the Jewish young man equivalent of going to Harvard. Paul had the ear of the high priest in Jerusalem when Paul was a young man, and the high priest is like the top dog um, in the Jewish culture. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, he had letters from the high priest to go arrest some Christians in Syria. made me think of a guy that um, some of you will have heard of, a guy named Chuck Colson who worked in the Nixon White House. And he was known as the White White House hatchet man. Um, He was the one that got stuff done. He was a Marine, and he was a lawyer, and he was a bulldog and did whatever Nixon wanted to, which apparently was also some shady stuff in the Watergate scandal. And in the Watergate scandal, um, when he was on his way to prison, he met Christ, and it changed everything about him. Uh, and he ended up starting a ministry called Prison Fellowship, and that's what he devoted his life to, and had a similar trajectory, really, to the trajectory that Paul had. Um, I wonder if when he's writing to The Romans, this group of people that he doesn't know, there's some tension in that of like wanting to write these things, Um, but knowing where he needs to start. He goes on to the Philippians, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus for my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I think that'd be like saying whatever goes in your Twitter bio, whatever you want people to know about you or wish was true about you so people could know it. Paul says, and rubbish is like dog poop. That's what the word is. Like that is a steaming pile of dog poop compared to the riches of knowing Christ. I don't know what it is that you want to put in the Twitter bio or you wish you could put in it, and how it compares to the riches of knowing Christ in your own heart. He continues, In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is where, in getting ready for this series, like I had a sense of how short I fall Of where I ought to be and where Romans is meant to take us and where I want to go. Back to Romans 1, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So, a servant of Christ Jesus, and this is Christ Jesus, descended from David according to the flesh. So, this is the one that's been promised. For a thousand years, thousands of years, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. I am a servant of that Jesus, and I would rather be a servant of that Jesus than to aspire all, to all these things in the world. I'd rather be a little fish in Christ's huge pool than the biggest fish. In my own pool. That's a dual loss. I'll be a servant of Christ Jesus. What would it take for me to get to the place where I wouldn't care so much about what people think about what I do or what I look like or where I've been or what I drive or where I live or the size of my bank account? Because what Christ thinks and what he's called me into is really not only more important, but I think in Paul's eyes, the only important thing. That's what he's calling us into. And that's where, reading this over and over again, I find in my heart, after 35 years of following Jesus and 25 years of pastoring for Jesus and 15 years of preaching for Jesus, a gap between what's going on in my heart and what I think is going on in Paul's heart, a gap that disturbs me, to say the least, and a gap that I hope God closes I believe, like, Paul just, that's his core. I am a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, uh, set apart for the gospel. Now, if, if I read that in someone's Twitter bio, or I went to a pastor's thing and someone said that to me, I'd probably roll my eyes because it would come across as pretentious, right? And the worst type of pretentious is religious pretentious. <laughs> uh, but it's not for him. That's, that's who he was. And he earned the right to say it. Um, There's another passage. So in his second letter to the church at Corinth, uh, he indicates that the Corinthians had been buying into some criticism of Paul by other church leaders. So other church leaders who honestly were saying they had a more impressive Twitter bio than Paul, and so the Corinthians should follow them instead of following Paul. They were flashier, they were promising more and asking less, And the Corinthians were buying into it. And so in a fantastic passage, Paul says, Since many boast according to the flesh, these false leaders that you're following, I too will boast, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes a slave of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. And he goes on to say, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman. Like, this is in there, and I didn't want to have to say it, but you made me. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not also weak? Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. And so when he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, there's no pretension in it. Because that is the life that he has lived. He is a servant of Christ and made his will subservient to the will of Christ. He goes on in this letter to the Corinthians to talk about a vision he had where he was like called up into the third heaven and refers to himself in the third person because he knows how obnoxious this sounds. And he gets down to this part where he says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, That it should leave me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I think that means Paul would sooner put his weaknesses in his Twitter bio than he would put his strengths, and he would mean it. What would that look like if you put a bio out there and whatever your social media drug of choice is that had your weaknesses, right? Uh, and I don't even want to I don't, I can't even do that, you know <laughs> Decent father, could be a better husband and pastor, easily distracted. But it really doesn't matter that much because Christ's power is made perfect in my weakness. And it's really not about me. And so I'm just fine with those things because they are a vehicle through which the power of Christ can come th- through me. Like, what would, what would it be like if those are the thoughts that ran through your head when you look in the mirror every morning, like a list of your weaknesses and deficiencies. But in going through that list, he said, you know what? This doesn't change the love of God shows for me through Christ one iota. And I have a righteousness that comes from Christ that I don't have to work up on my own, that comes through faith from Christ that supersedes this. And God has promised that his strength will be made perfect in these weaknesses. And so I can't wait to see what Christ is going to do through these weaknesses today. If that's how you started your day and you meant it. I think that's like what was going on in Paul's heart. Uh, In Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, um, later in this, towards the end of this first passage in Romans, um, he says all those things about the Christ that he is a servant to, and then says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, Among all the nations. And that understanding at his core of who he is dictates his understanding of what he's here to do. And so he says, Through whom we've received grace, we've gotten the gospel, not a righteousness that is of our own from the law, but a righteousness that comes from Christ by faith. We've received grace and apostleship. So we've received this, like we've been sent. He's given us a mission that we are a part of, a work that he is doing that we are called into to bring about the obedience of faith. Like the goal is that more people would have the obedience of faith. And obedience, like just sounds like such a hard, dry word, but obedience is that's the garden, right? That's there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if you eat from it, it'll lead to death. Obedience is just trusting that he's smarter than you and he's better than you, and his his will is better than yours is, and so just trusting him because that obedience of faith is gonna lead to a better life for you and the people around you but that's not even the point because he says obedience of faith for the sake of his name it's not for the sake of you living your best life now it's which but it would be your best life now but it's for the sake of his name so that people that are trusting the Lord uh, would would demonstrate the goodness of the Lord and people would be drawn towards the Lord in that among all the nations and so this is a message for everybody and with great clarity like he, he puts out there his purpose um, in life, in this letter, for this church, like in just a, a sentence. And so that's Paul and the beginning of Romans and where this thing is headed. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. In a minute, um, we're going to continue to worship and we're going to take communion. And the way that we do that um, as a church is... A couple of Nate and Megan are going to be up here offering communion to you. And um, during these next few songs, when, when you are ready, uh, you can come up. And we do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And so this is his body that's been broken for us and his flesh that's been poured out of us. Um, uh, and it is the act by which he has paid for our unrighteousness and the consequences of our righteousness and offers us his, his righteousness. And so we invite you, if you've accepted who Christ is and what he's done for you during these next few moments, to come up and um, to receive communion. While you're sitting there, though, let me just ask you, like, what's at your core? Like I said, I think that's a hard question. I think, for me, it, it changes um, based on the situation or the moment or, What's been going on in my life? What do you tell yourself? What do you present to others? Um, but what does God see when he looks at you? The scripture says he sees a, a child whom he loves, whom he knows completely, whom he has adopted as his own, whom he has redeemed, by the work of Christ whom he has great purpose for and whom he has called into his kingdom and his plan and so that's where this is going to a place where um, the jumbled mess of how we see ourselves matters less and the reality of how God sees us matters more and changes the way we see our lives and live our lives Father, I thank you for, for Paul. I thank you for the glimpses into his heart you give us throughout the New Testament, Lord. I don't know, when he says, if anybody has confidence for the flesh, I have more, it seems like that's beneath the surface, like saying, let me tell you, the track I was on, um, when he talks to those Corinthians about the leaders that they are falling for, And just buying into some lies, Lord. And reluctantly talks about the things that he has gone through as a servant of Christ. Like, I feel like there's a lot more going on in his heart. And yet, I absolutely believe that the most important thing to him was that he was a servant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Man, may that be the thing that is at our core and that just brings us Joy that we would understand the person of Christ in such a way that the privilege of being a servant of Christ and being adopted into the family and be called a son of God would weigh more than all those other things that are competing for that place in our hearts, Lord. Draw us to yourself. Amaze us with who you are and the love that you have for us, Lord. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.